Welcome back to Living the Dream, and I'm delighted to be joined by rugby legend Chris Robshaw. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, looking forward to getting back in play, and it's been a, a long lockdown. It's been a, like everyone else, I've had my ups and downs uh, with lockdown, where you feel good, you feel positive, but then you have those bad days where you feel sluggish and and don't really want to get off the sofa. But for us now, we're we're back to playing. Um, and yeah, it's just it's good to be back out there. Good to, even though you can't properly like touch people in training and all that stuff, you're still around people. You can still talk. You can still have that face to face contact. Yeah, I can imagine having that uh, time off and, and not knowing when you're going to get back. That must have been difficult for the mind. And um, how do you motivate yourself in, in such a period? In all honesty, it was quite tough. Um, like I said, there was good days where you and some friends would do some hit classes in your kitchen, like I'm sure everyone else out there, and Instagram classes and all this kind of stuff. And initially, you know what? It was quite fun. It was a bit of a novelty. It was slightly different forms of training. Um, but then after a while, you probably don't have that self-motivation. And I, I was training, but I wasn't killing myself. I wasn't at the levels you are kind of now when you're back at the club, you're training properly. Um, but it was it was good to do something different but for me exercise was such a big thing in lockdown i found the days where i didn't exercise i was quite sluggish i didn't really want to do anything i would happily spend the day on a sofa maybe get a delivery or two um whereas whereas even if you just did for me whether it was walking the dog whether it was just a little i know 20 minute run or a 20 minute hit class in the kitchen or something like that it was it just gave me a little bit more energy and i felt energized it gave me that routine to kind of power through with the rest of the day and look especially in the peak of lockdown where you could only go out for one bit of exercise it was tough wasn't it of course. i'm sure you were the same i'm sure a lot of the listeners were the same but it just gave me something to activate the mind activate the body feel healthy feel good um and yeah it definitely helped me throughout that period you're 34 now chris aren't you so do you find that getting a little bit older you know the body takes a little bit longer to respond to certain things and maybe that when you mentioned about being sluggish maybe that's just getting slightly older and you feel like <laughs> i want to sit on the sofa and have a couple of deliveries is that right well exactly yeah i don't mind a little nap now i think the last time i napped was in my early 20s and now it's kind of <laughs> in my early 30s so i think there's different reasons for it um but yeah, look, that's definitely a factor. In my whole career, this is the longest period of time I've ever had off from rugby or away from the club or away from England. So it's strange. So your body does feel good. You feel, because you are training, but like I said, for the early stages, we weren't doing the contact. We were just running. We were doing weights, uh, almost like professional trainers. Mm. So, and then obviously as as kind of phases progress and we can start to tackle each other and do a bit more rugby, then you start to get the little knocks again and all that kind of stuff. But in all honesty, the body feels good. The body feels, yeah, really good considering, like you said, I'm 34 towards the last stages of my career. Um, but no, I'm yeah, looking forward to getting back out there. There's uh, been enough time sitting on the sofa watching the American office or <laughs> some sort of... Um, serial killer documentaries or anything like that so yeah it's good to good to get back out who does the cooking at home you or camilla um she's she's a much better cook than me i'm uh i'm pretty lazy i'm pretty pragmatic with my food in terms of it's it's kind of a meat a vegetable and a, a carb-based option there's probably not too much flavor there unfortunately uh but she's definitely the one who can mix things up i must admit i did go down the baking path in lockdown did you um, I became a, a little bit of a baker. 
which again is great for the mind and great for the taste buds, but not so great for the waistline. Um, but now that was again just something to take your mind off it, wasn't it? Let's let's go back to you as a boy now, Chris. I, I want to tap into your career and 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 we're going to talk about some big moments. And I want to find out, um, you know, Chris Robshaw through the stages. So, as a young lad. Did you always know you was going to be a rugby player? For, for me, as a talking about very young here, I was I was extremely dyslexic. Um, like I hated the academic stuff. I really struggled in the classroom, and for me, rugby was my escape. Sport, well, all sport in general, but I was I was better suited to rugby. And I, as I got a bit older, I got a bit better at it. But it's a place where I gained confidence. It's a place where I gained confidence, friends where. It then gave me that confidence to go back into the classroom and go, you know, I can try this and I can try and do better. Um, because that was a difficult thing for me. And, and then kind of as as I grew, I always wanted to go into sport. And when I was probably 16 to 16 to 18, that type of bracket, rugby in particular, football was, but rugby wasn't on TV much. I think you might have... A game you would have the internationals like the Six Nations or the Five Nations back then, but you wouldn't have as much. So it was a bit more of an unknown quantity. Um, and then when I was seventeen, I got picked up by the Harlequins Academy, um, so went went into that. And even then, I I applied for university, just thinking I don't know what this is about. So almost using it as a bit of a gap year. I'm like I'm going to go down, I'm going to give it everything, and this is where I want to be. But Again, we, we were young kids. We, we weren't really sure what, what to expect or what to do. And for me, in those first four or five years, I, I had some really serious injuries. I, I broke my foot twice in my first year. Second year, I broke my leg. Third year, I did all my knee ligaments. Uh, fourth year, I broke my hand. Um, and you're thinking, is this game for me? You're going up against men. You were suddenly a big kid at school. All of a sudden, you're going up against guys 10 years and 10, 20 kg more than you. And you're trying to compete and yeah, you, you do doubt yourself at times. So I remember my mum at the time was like, I kept having all these injuries. You're thinking, is this game really for me? And she gave me some typical motherly advice. It was like, have you tried drinking more milk? <laughs> and I was, I was like, thanks mum, I'll, I'll give it a go. But I, I don't know if that's the issue. Um, and then yeah, you, you gradually, but in that also, it's a bit of a blessing for me as well. Because they were all lower limb injuries or by the hand, it allowed me to bulk up a little bit and put on a bit more size and a bit more timber so that when I got back out there, you could compete with these guys and you did have that strength. Well, I didn't know you were dyslexic. So that, you know, that's, uh, that's an incredible story and, and it makes a lot of sense of why, you know, you could separate yourself in the sport being such a driving force uh, and, and obviously getting to where you are today. Let's talk about 2007. Do you remember making your debut for Harlequins? Yep, I remember we were. It was a, it was a funny year because the year I joined, we the end of that season, I said I was injured a lot, and and we didn't really train with the first team. We were quite separate back then. The academy didn't do anything, um, and that unfortunately at the end of that year we got relegated as a club, um, which was of course terrible for the club and financially and all that all that kind of stuff. But as young guys coming through the club, it was actually a really good time for us because. A lot of the kind of older guys moved on or went to other clubs. There's a lot of guys who we probably didn't bring in as many people because you don't have the budget. So all of a sudden, a bit more emphasis has been put on these young guys, myself, Mike Brown, George Robson, these type of guys. So we actually played a bit more than 
we would have done if we were still in the Premiership. So it was actually good for us. And it was almost like an old school mentality where we'd go to these places, which, and then you would have beers with the opposition after the game and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, for the debut at home, um, yeah, I just remember being so nervous, so nervous playing around. And I actually did play quite badly. It was because you're looking around. And I was like, oh my God, Andrew Mertens is over there, Andre Voss, Will Greenwood, these international legends of the game. And I wasn't in the moment. I was thinking, oh my God, I'm around incredible people. And then after that, you just kind of realise these are these are normal people who want to get the best out of themselves, want to play as well as possible. Um, and if you don't get in line and do it as well, you're, you're not going to be here long. So as soon as you get that kind of aura out of your system, which I did for whatever reason, it was just, yeah, hung over me for that one game. Um, you're into it. Wow. So yeah, I mean, there's some mega players you're mentioning there, and, and whenever I've watched you, there there's always you know there's some great talent in the in the Aviva um, Premiership, isn't there? Week in week out, you go up against these guys, and there's some tough competitors, aren't there? Yeah, there are, and, and that's uh, the beauty of the competition we have at the moment. That. You compete in every week and, and that's why it's such a tough competition to try and win and try and be successful that you're, you're battling on three fronts in three competitions. Then you get guys going away to international stuff and it's not like the football we continue to play. That's why we have a top four at the end of the season where you go into a playoffs and then obviously the winner of that comes out on top. Um, but yeah, you've got to be on it because especially in the back row, there are so many good back row players out there, especially young guys coming through at the moment. And you really do have to make sure you are you are not because people want to have a, a pop at you, and you want to make sure you are still where you are. Um, in t- two thousand eleven, you you guided the Quins to to the title. Um, you you do you remember that day well? Um, I think you scored in the final, didn't you, against Leicester as well? Yeah, I did. It was um, oh, what an incredible day. I mean, there was so much build up to it and everything. And we actually, we were sponsored by Etihad at the time. So it was back when you would play the semi-final. It would then be a week where it'd be the European final. So if you weren't in that, you would basically have a week to prepare or a week off. And we weren't in that. So we, Etihad took us over to Abu Dhabi as a bit of a, a corporate do, but also a training camp, warm weather training camp. And the thing is, it was so hot over there. We could only train until about 10 o'clock in the morning which is brilliant. So, yeah, we were training hard, but we were then going to play golf. We were going to water parks. We were on boat trips. And that real kind of camaraderie, it was almost like the final piece of the puzzle, kind of just kind of really gelled us together and um, gave us that kind of... Because that's what it's about. It's about those bonds that you want to go out there and work and fight for that guy, and he's going to do the same for you. And then kind of as we actually walked over to the stadium that day, because Harlequins play literally 400 metres away from the main stadium. So we always, if we play there, we park at the stoop, we have our meetings, our food, that kind of stuff. And then we walk across and the fans had arranged a guard of honour the whole way across. And it was just, you would see your friends, your family. And it was extremely emotional because you know what it means to them, but every now and then it's nice to be reminded. Uh, And it definitely gave the guys that. That edge and then yeah we got off to the perfect start and managed to just about hang on in the end so with with every high there's sometimes some big lows the the rugby world cup then you you was left out the squad how did that how did that make you feel yeah i think when whenever I, i've had setbacks you and and that, that i always think selection and that kind of stuff a, a coach has got a puzzle 
and he's trying and you're just a piece in it and he's trying to piece whatever he wants to go and and at that particular time I didn't fit that that puzzle my, my bit wasn't sticking uh, and I think as long as you know you've given it your all then it's then it's someone's opinion and it, it, I think as you get a bit older it probably gets a little bit easier to take but yeah it was tough at the time and you want to go out there and prove people wrong so that's what I did. I went straight back to the club and, and got stuck in. And you certainly proved them wrong then, because you then, you know, straight away was made the England captain. Uh, and then you, I think you had 43, 66 caps for England in the end, but 43 times England captain, I think second to only Will Carling. And that's not a bad player to be second to. No, exactly. He's, uh, I mean, there's things he's achieved and being a previous Harlequin as well, there's a huge amount of respect for him and he's a, he's a nice guy as well. So, yeah, always extremely honoured to, to captain. And I think when you run out of Twickenham, leading the guys, 80,000 people cheer, flamethrowers go off, you're singing the anthem there. That's what you remember. Of course, there's tough games and all that stuff, but those moments where you're looking back and you see your friend, your family, because they're in kind of a close row, they always sit in the same place, you, everyone's kind of spotting them. And then, yeah, 80,000 people singing with you. Um, because as a kid, I would watch these games on TV and I would sing the anthem at home. I was proud as a little boy uh, and sing the anthem and stuff. So to go there and, and be on the pitch, it's such a surreal and incredible feeling. I think it's fair to say you wasn't a prolific uh, scorer for England, but do you remember that first try <laughs> against uh, Australia in 2013? I do, yeah. My my hit rate isn't isn't as as good as some, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I can't say I ran in from fifty or chipped the fullback or anything like that. I think it one of the guys got a charge down, and it luckily ricocheted to me about. It probably wasn't even a meter out. I literally picked it up and put it down, but. <laughs> And even my second try against Italy, I think I was giving it five metres out and there was no one in front of me. So, um, yeah, maybe I need to work on my try scoring. But, yeah, it's, it's such a good feeling to score, isn't it? Well, I, I, I unfortunately, I've not been in that position, but I can imagine, uh, and I remember seeing the look on your face, it looked uh, fantastic. <laughs> so you kick off again against Sale um, in, in a couple of weeks, in next week, actually. Do you feel at the moment as motivated as ever? Yeah, definitely, because for me, this is my... My last period at the club, um, I'm moving on at the end of the season. For me, it's it's about trying to trying to win something. And we, we look, we've got a bit of way to go. There's no denying that uh, to try getting that top four. And, and then you can challenge. But that's why it's so competitive because we have a league at the moment and you look at teams, anyone can beat anyone on their day. So you have to be on it. Um, yeah, look, I, I want to finish with, with something. Um, and that, that's not going to be an easy task for sure. We're sitting, I think, seventh at the moment. But there's you win one or two games and you're up to fourth again. So it's that kind of it's that kind of type. So yeah, look, we got some tough guys. We got Sale at home and then we go Saris away. So two very big fixtures. Um, and it's look, it'll be a shame without the fans there, especially being my, my last period. But just the honour of wearing the shirt again, playing at the stoop again, um, a place I've called home for. It would always be my home, I suppose, no matter where I go. I'm sure I'll I'll come back at some point as well. Do you think they'll retire your jersey? I mean, you've been a, you've been a one club man for so many years. Um, it, it doesn't really happen in rugby. Why not? Um, because we, <laughs> well, because we we always have the same numbers. So regardless of who you are, you have like we don't have squad numbers. We have like team numbers. Okay. So in my position six or seven. If I'm not playing or someone else is playing a flanker, they're six and seven as well. It's not like I'm number 14 and they're number 12. 
So it's yeah, it's, it doesn't really work like that. So yeah, you have your one to fifteen, which is your starting team, and then you have your um, sixteen to twenty-three, which is the bench, and they're always the same position. So let's talk about you. I mean, you was a tough competitor and still are today. Who was the toughest you've ever faced? And and you you'd wake up in the morning and go, I do not want to face this guy, or you'd go to bed at night and go, Wow, that was exhausting. Um, I think whenever you play South Africa. The physicality they bring, and they're all big, big men. And I know you—you you probably think most rugby guys are are pretty big, but these guys just know one way. And as we saw in the unfortunately the World Cup final, when they have that bit between their teeth, the physicality they bring—they only know one way, and that's over the top of you. And if that doesn't work, they're going to do it again and again and again. And that basically, it's going against them is a proper test of old school kind of manhood what are you about because you know they're going to bring it so it's always a, a bruise and a counter it's one you want to you want to match you want to better um, but yeah they're definitely ones which the day after you, you are pretty sore but you can go through you go through some of these internationals and you can wake up next day fine very rarely I must admit it normally takes you probably three days to get over one um, you feel I'm but then you go through these other games and you come out in, in pieces. I remember I, I, I popped my shoulder one, I had a black eye, I don't know, a bulging disc in my back. And you feel like properly beaten up. So, yeah, there are some games where you just get a bit, a bit too many bad knocks. Well, yeah, I can imagine those some of those hits, especially that you mentioned the South African boys, they hit hard, don't they? And, uh, yeah, I can imagine you'd feel that for a number of days. Chris, who is the best coach you've ever played under? I think in terms of the success that we, we've had, it, it, would, it would probably have to be Eddie in terms of his ability to get the best out of people. Um, his man management is phenomenal and, and better than anyone I've worked with, really. In terms of little things like every morning, he'll come into the breakfast room and say good morning to every single person. He'll acknowledge everyone in the room, regardless if you're in for the first time or you're his captain, his kit man, his head coach, whatever it be. But he also treats everyone differently. He knows how to get the best out of people, whether it's having a quiet word with someone, taking the mick out of someone because he likes that kind of interaction. Um, but yeah, he's definitely he's definitely the one, I think. Do you have any regrets in your career today? Uh, I mean, you, you probably look back to the 2015 and that kind of World Cup decision. And if we go for the post or go for to have that option, then we have a shot, don't we? Um, I mean, that, that could be one, but hindsight's a wonderful thing in life, isn't it? And um, there, there are probably a number, not a number of things, there's probably a handful of things you might look back in your career and think, I could have done this differently, I could have done that. But, but more often than not, I like, I like to think I gave it my all, you know? I like to think every time I went out there, I'd, I'd give it everything for my, my teammates beside me. Um, and hopefully they would have done the same. I've always wondered if you have some sort of wacky routine you do pre-game uh, to, to get yourself pumped. You know, I like to have the bath, a bath the night before a game. A hot one. I like to have a bath, hot bath, um, some arnica oils, all that kind of stuff. Just basically help my muscles relax. Yeah. Uh, helps you sleep. Um, I, I went for a phase where I would have spaghetti bolognese probably only to about five years ago every night before a game from when I was since I can remember and then I knocked down head I was like this is ridiculous and I just suddenly changed and then you know what it still works you still play well you still do everything it's, it's amazing superstitions because they 
they all fail at some point, I think. Yeah. Um, but but in our head, we want we want to do that, or we want to put. If you see Nadal, he wants to put his bottle kind of exactly like that, and all that kind of stuff. And let these things. Some some people have huge success with these things. You get some players who wear the same pants or. Yeah, do exactly the same thing as they walk off the bus or they step off or listen to the same music. Um, and I think if it works for you, keep doing it. Um, but yeah, they, they, can, they can get in people's heads as well. What would be the best advice you would offer a, a young rugby player today? Uh, I mean, I, I remember one which, which Sean Fitzpatrick, the New Zealand legend, told me, who's on the Harlequins board, I've got to know him reasonably well. He said, always train as if you're number two, trying to become number one. So ne- never kind of let up. And I think with, with sport, with business, with, with anything in life, if you want to be successful, you've got to work hard and you've got to be resilient. Because along the way, there's going to be some amazing times, but there's going to be some tough times. And it's those people, when you get to the tough times, that go, you know what, this isn't going to define me. I'm going to get back out there and go again. And yes, you, you kind of go up and down like this. But you have good people around you and you've just got to stick with it. Because I think a lot of people see, especially young kids, they see the success, don't they? They see people lifting trophies, they see all that stuff, but they don't see how hard these people are working every single day. Um, And that's the difference between the people who who get there to lift all the trophies and all that and to the people who who probably don't. These people do it every single day. I love that. That Trainers, you're number two. That's fantastic. Let's talk about what's next for you then, Chris. You're joining San Diego Legion. What, yeah. How did that move come about and, and, and why? Yeah, for, for me, I was, I was looking for an opportunity to go abroad. I, I've been kind of South London way my whole life. Um, so for me, it was looking for an opportunity to go and do something different while I was still playing well, while I was still playing 80 minutes every week. Um, and you know what? Just have a bit of a life experience. So for me, we, we kind of put a couple of feeders out there and as much as I like Wandsworth, I hear Southern California is not a bad place to live. I've heard, I've heard the um, same. Um, so yeah, look, I'm, I'm going out there. They're, they're a good side. They're the, the best side in the league at the moment, or they were before the, uh, the COVID situation hit. Uh, they've got a nice setup. Um, they don't play as many games as I think they probably play half, if that, the amount of games we play over here. Um, so again, at, at my age, it was probably going to be nice on the body, um, and just live somewhere else. You know, I've lived in a city my whole life. To go there, live near the beach, uh, maybe try and do a bit of surfing. Who knows? Um, and also travel the states, playing playing over there. You get to go to some amazing places. Um, you get to go play in, play in New York or Houston or or Seattle or these type of places, which again I, I've never been to. I've, I've done the Bass, I've done the Leicesters, I've done all that thing enough really, which as fun as they are to play in. Um, and I will miss it over here for sure. No doubt I'll miss it going to Welford Road, packed out or a Saracens Derby or um, yeah, these type of places you're going to miss in playing at Twickenham. No doubt that will um, be a sad day never to do that again. Um but you have to look back. And I think as you get older, you also look back with fond memories and the hurt feelings probably disappear a bit more and you remember the good times a bit more. Are you planning then to be out in California for, for good now? Is that where you're going to, when your career comes to a, a sad end, is that, are you going to set camp up there for good? Uh, look, we, we don't know what the future holds. Um, 
we're, we're going over there. We've got a two-year deal. Um, so we, we're going over there for that period. And, and, you know, we'll just see what happens. See what happens. We're, we're going to be flexible. And, again, with, with rugby, you, you earn well, but you don't earn enough to retire on. You've got to go find another career. You've got to go find another a lifestyle, so to speak. Um, so you have to come back or you have, you have to work in some capacity. Um, so again, it's trying to find where that takes you as well and trying to piece that, that bit together. And, and we've, we've gone over there as well. Their seasons are six months, so it almost kind of gives me another six months to, to kind of set that path up as well. And finally, if you were to say one thing that was the, the main reason for your success today, what do you reckon that would be? Wow. Um, I mean, it's probably many reasons, but if you used to say, yeah, you know, is it is it, is it pure reasons. dedication? Is it that is it just desire? Is it just that self belief? I think hard work, hard work. I would say as a as a kid and, and potentially even as a player, you're I wasn't the most skillful. I probably wasn't the quickest uh, or the biggest or anything like that. But I I was determined to work hard, and it's amazing how hot how. how for hard work can get you. If, of course, you need to develop other bits and develop other skills, but I was always willing to put up working to develop them. Um, and that's been a massive factor for me. Well, listen, I've loved speaking to you, Chris, and uh, I wish you all the best at San Diego. And uh, I will probably come and check. I'll hopefully see you before you go anyway, because uh, hopefully they'll allow, they'll allow fans in the stadium soon. And, uh, and I'll come and see you in your final season. Thanks for coming on Living the Dream. Have a great day and love to Camilla. Thank you, Liam. Good to see you. Thanks, mate.